listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Welcome to Proropod. Proropod. And today we have a special guest star. A star? Am I a star? I mean, <laughs> are you not? <laughs> How do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, uh, uh, podcast, podcast averse, but, uh, uh, Christy averse and book, book averse. Hello people. Um, uh, my name is B. Um, and I am, I am the, I'm the partner of, of Amanda that she's apparently been talking about sometimes on some of these episodes. She made a face. I was like, yeah, I was like, I've mentioned you several times. And she's like, you have? And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> In what context? Cause that could mean a lot of things. Not. Not no. in a bad way. When I'm trying to make Portia guess the actress that I'm not giving zero information about, <laughs> you know, I feel like B also hates that. I do. <laughs> I really, really do. Um, and we're also joined by Sushi. Yeah, yeah, Sushi the cat who's insisting that I don't touch the computer. <laughs> so I can't see the document. Okay. Everything's fine. So All on right. today's episode, we are talking about, and then there were none. Um, which is why B is known, uh, joining us because she's been um, helping my emotional journey through <laughs> reading such a uh, storied story. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a very polarizing situation. Yeah. This book a lot, lot happening, a lot, lot going on there. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that part first before we get into the actual plots. Yeah. And it's not like the actual plot is going to be happy fun time either because this is probably the bleakest novel i've ever read so you know oh and speaking of racism when we were trying to come <laughs> right into it there it is i'm not even i'm you don't so, even when, when, so you weren't there for this but when we were talking about this book Portia was like it's so dark and i was like see that's racism in our language yeah and so we were trying to come up with another word and word and then so Portia was like okay bleak but i was like Bleak is pa- too passive because, like, dark is the, I want to use it as it relates to this book means to me, like, has a, like an element of like aggressive evil in it. Yeah. Whereas well, bleak sounds more or less hopeless. Well, how about macabre? It's yeah. Like, it's macabre. macabre. I mean, honestly, this is out of all the ones that you've talked about, um, this is like the most ho- horror movie. Yeah. It's yeah. It's horror. definitely a horror book. It's yeah. Horror. It is definitely um, horror. It's not a mystery. It's a horror. Yeah. Because when you were explaining yeah. it to me, I, I felt like, is is this not like the grudge? Because there's no, there's it's no, it's probably solution. the precursor to a lot of like Saw. Right. A lot yeah. Of those yeah. yeah. Stephen King has got nothing on this. Yeah. It's is definitely it, is, horror. Is the grudge similar? I mean, it was very much, you know, you're telling me like, oh yeah, everybody just dies. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like, you know, very much like a Japanese horror kind of thing. Where yeah. You know, yeah. Curse, there, there's no, there's no, oh, we'll find the thing. And, you know, like Indiana Jones, this and everybody's fine. No, 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 this is not that. So even once we get back past the 
racist title undertones and setup, then we have to get to the fact that it's a horror book where everyone dies. So there's going to be no happy ending part of this. Right. And fortunately, I always joke that in a lot of Agatha Christie's at the end, like there's all these murders. And at the end, it's like super happy fun times. Everybody falls in love and is fine. It's like really fast in like three sentences. She's like wraps it all up with happiness. And that does not happen in this. Not at all. No no super happy fun times in this. All right. So what do you want to, you want to start with the uh, very title? So um, we were just researching. um, So in the States, this was always published under the title and then there were none. But the original British title, which she wrote, was 10 Little N-Words, but she did not use inward she used the word inward if you know what i'm saying right and it was this is <laughs> thir- 1939 uh so yeah and then in the british title it was later t- changed to 10 little indians now this and then the premise of the story has to do with a nursery rhyme is it a nursery rhyme in a like Not a, it's a poem I don't... it's a well it's it's a counting out rhyme that's what it says in in the wikipedias now there's also some discrepancy of whether or not uh 10 little indians was first or the slur for you know african-americans was first um because here it's saying that they took 10 little indians and then turned it into a minstrel show situation so, so maybe like, it was so it maybe in the United it was in the back and forth. And back and forth. And yeah, back it's and called forth. back and forth. But the the it, they say it's generally thought that this song was adapted possibly by Frank J. Green in 1869. So this thing has been racist for like over a hundred years before it was even used as a book title. And in a it was still racist and, when they said Indians. Yes. Right, right, <laughs> totally. And so when we mean counting rhyme, the best analogy I can come up with in a totally different way is this little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy. Yeah, I thought of the, you know, the, there was four in the bed and the little one said roll over and then like one yeah. fell in the bed, but no one died. Right. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, when the piggies, you're just counting your toes, right? Right. Um, but this one is 10 and it also is in each one they die. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, the very last line of the poem is, and then there were none, which is what ended up being the American title. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what Amanda and I had to do a pre-talk about this because it was so much to unpack. And one of the things that the poem implies, no matter who you use, because now they've changed the poem. It's still around to 10 little soldiers. Mm-hmm. But whether it's Indians n-word back to indians or soldiers apparently um it's about people who are disposable yeah because in they it's because it's in each one that you're counting off until they they die and apparently this is funny or something like because as i said it reminds me of this little piggy meant to market but the piggy didn't die yeah. Right, and in the book, they treat it that way. Like, I you know Vera, the character, is like, oh, how cute they have that rhyme. I remember that from when I was a kid. And she finds it, like, fun, even though it's a poem about, like, dying. People, 10 people dying. And she's like, oh, right. how cute. I remember that rhyme. And so, like, it's seen as lighthearted because it's not disturbing that these people are dying. Because, and again, in the context of reading it, you know, the, the version I read was the Indian version. You know, um, it it seems like... Because these people aren't people. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's exactly right. what it is. Like these people are are not people, whether it be you know, uh, whether it be Indians or you know, soldiers. Like it's it's whoever is is expendable. It's whoever is is without humanity essentially, and that's kind of goes back to the the characters of the of the book, doesn't it? Like, well, yeah, right. and that's what sort of analogizes because the person who set up the murders sees these people as inhuman because they're killers. Yeah. And so I think the best way and not necessarily the true way to look at her using this poem, so I'm not necessarily crediting her with this, but we could say that she was playing on people saying, oh, hey, it's okay if we use these disposable people, whoever label that it is, but this is a story about good upright white English people, so it's different. And then by the end, it's not different. So she was saying they're they're bad too, or bad as well. well or... And there is a thread to justify that because one of the people, his crime was abandoning um, a a bunch of local people in Africa to die. And his justification was like, well, they were natives, like, you know, they're not real people. And so from the zoomed out lens of the murderer who did all this, like, it's not okay to kill people, even if they're black. And from the so people in the room. With... In that, but then knowing how she titled it, it still doesn't make any of this okay. But, right. but the book and does the people... that too, because that character was like, well, yeah, I left him to die, but they're natives. And, and the people in the room the were judging. Murderer disagreed with that. What was that? And the people in the room at during that scene were judgy, and they were all murderers too. Right. Um, so, like, and they said something like, "Our black brothers." One person did. Yeah, person. yeah. I think one of the. Yeah. So it's a little um, bit of not awareness of like the title and stuff, but there is some of that. A little bit of. Well, and I think sometimes I, we talked about this before that she, Agatha Christie, will sometimes prey on her assumption of her audience's underlying sexism. And so preying on her, I've definitely seen that for sure, where it's like, oh, it couldn't, she couldn't be the murderer because she's a woman, you know, like, and so was she assuming that people wouldn't uh, make the connection between the poem and the white people who were dying because oh well it couldn't be about white people being disposable was she you know kind of preying on people's underlying racism but i or is that giving her too much credit uh, i don't be, i think kind of giving her too much credit instead of it being like it, like a bait and switch like oh are these you know 10 disposable people oh no these are 10 upstanding you know white british individuals what about them is disposable. I think more so it's kind of the way that the rest of the world still currently uses the N-word. They use it right. as a disparaging term to kind of snatch the humanity from you. Because if you notice, like, whenever anybody is using that term towards anyone else, whether they be, you know, of African descent or not, like, they put an adjective in front of it. But the right. root word is still the slur, which means right. that I'm calling you something that is completely and utterly undesirable, and right, it, less than human. Yeah. And that word is so, always less than human. Yeah. Right. So using the poem, especially in 39 in the original, uh, was, yeah. 
So it was an insult for her to use it on them to say you're as bad as this. Yeah. 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 And, and, I, and then and one of the problems that one of the reasons that I really was really disturbed when I first read this, because I, I read this last year, I guess, you know, just reading ahead and things that came up on my reading list, or, you know, <clears throat> was that the fact that at the time of publication, 1939, not long enough ago, <laughs> you were, yeah. um, and that they knew it was offensive to the American audience, so they never even tried it in the States, but they were like, it's totally fine to do it in Britain, right? Like that, that she, I, I don't know if it's her digging in her heels and the author, this perspective, but I wanted her to be like, huh, if it's offensive in the States, maybe it's offensive everywhere. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> there are black people here as well. Why are we still maybe, using the title? Maybe they're like that feedback of being like, oh, people find that word the most offensive word in the English language. Okay, fine. Well, let's don't do it in the States. Like I just, I, I wished that that right. it could have been like, oh, it was originally titled this, but then with the feedback, it was titled and then there were none everywhere <laughs> right and if she wanted i mean it's interesting because uh, the poem itself and i don't know how much because i've only heard the poem in the context of this and i only found out it was not her poem because we did the research um but the the evolution of the poem itself um to end up on soldiers now I wonder where that was in the evolution. Because uh, when I read it the first time in the 80s, it, there was just Indians. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I wonder where that was on the evolution. And could she have said, hey, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And, but you're right. Like, if something's too offensive to use in America... Why maybe heels in and, and, and be like, but in, in England, right. it's totally this is fine. a great word to use. We're, we're, we're above all that racism stuff that they have in the States. We don't have that here in, in the UK. Right. Right. Came from well, and it goes back to the story of. <laughs> no, we started it. Started it. It goes back to the story of Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo, too. Mm -hmm. You yeah. guys know that one. Because um, it wasn't always Tiger. Yeah. 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 Well, I just assume that with most nursery rhymes, when you said, you know, Piggy went to market, I'm assuming that was probably not Piggy originally either. So oh, boy. That, <laughs> it's, it's depressing. Yeah, most here. of them. Like, I remember that, especially like, I feel like in the post George Floyd era, there was a thing where like, we got, you know, people were publishing constantly, like all of this stuff about these things that, you know, are ingrained in our language that we haven't really examined. The other part that just for context for the listeners is that so um, in the book, this poem is the title. And then it's also the way that each person dies. So the, the, there's, you know, 10 people that die in the poem. And then the people in the book die in a similar manner in the same order. And um, in the version I read, they're at Indian Island that's been named that because it looks like an American Indian person. So uh, apparently that in the original meant that it was called Edward Island because it was supposed to look like uh, a black person, I guess. And then, so that's disturbing to think about. Right, and, right. And then there also, there's this thing throughout the book of these figurines that are on the dining table. And 
as each person dies, these these figurines mysteri- mysteriously um, uh, disappear. And right. that one really hit me in the visceral because I had an image of those like historical black caricatures, the black mm-hmm. figurines, like yeah, those black yeah. figures. And I was like, like a minstrel, oh, yeah. Just, really disturbed me like the image of those on the dining room table like they have those like racist um well and and yeah because it's the idea of using humans as a light entertainment so there was a apparently a restaurant in portland amanda do you know about this um, I'm giving you no context. I she looks realize. terrified. <laughs> she I just, looks terrified. I was like, oh God, <laughs> what, is, what is the racist city of my birth done now? <laughs> uh, so there was a restaurant that had a caricature face. I can't remember the name of it now. It might've been Sambo's. Um, I think I remember this. But in order to go into the restaurant, you went in through a huge mouth, a big red yeah. mouth, big white eyes, like all of the things that they did to caricature oh. African-Americans. The, the, no, the good news is, is that it is now Clyde's um, prime rib and it's um, African-American owned and it's a great place. And like it was bought by an African-American who created a brand new place and um, gone to see um funk music there and it's been Good. reclaimed so like oh but that's but, right that's the kind of imagery that comes up for me when i when i thought of the figurines and imagining it like and i it might be a thing also for american indians i don't want to say that's not also offensive but like i don't have an image of figurines right. of american indians um uh being caricatured in that way it probably is true and there's probably also terrible racism there too it's not not saying that that's okay but knowing the history i'm being my myself being more aware of the history of those like black caricatures i was just like oh god yeah i think oh. I, i've seen a couple i mean a couple of images come to mind of like you know native american imagery that's very much very much like a, a minstrel show situation or yeah like, so yeah it's disturbing anyway. yeah yeah like, and i think when and that's the weird part because it's not like the title of this book or the book the poem and the figurines were built into the plot so it's not like they could just change the title and get rid of the right no it's integral to the plot of it like the figurines like they're every time someone dies they're like oh my gosh where'd the other figurine go and they're looking around like they make it like it's integral to the plot and that's the part that's like you know when um the woman uh there's only two three women in the whole story but this one woman we hear from the point of view of the most is this vera and when she sees the poem she's like oh that's so cute and it's like okay um i realized that they are also like ring around the rosy was you know a, a, a kid's rhyme about the plague but come on are all the people kids rhymes have to be so freaking you know disturbing right like where she's like "Woo, that's so cute yeah it's like is it cute i remember we had alice the camel that had five humps and then she had four humps and then she had and then by the end she's a horse like that was a countdown song like (laughs) you know making a joke that a a camel with no 
Moms would be a horse. Why did, why is it going to be so exactly like, Oh my gosh. So like, so that was the part with that was weird. Oh God. When showing me a picture of the, I don't even want to say the word Sambo's. Yep. Well, you, you said it. Yep. There's, there it is. Oh. Look it up. You found it. You did a yep. search. Yep. It's now Clyde's, which is awesome and black owned. And it, it's, it's ended up, but I know people who that existed, that existed Good before Lord. we were alive in Portland on Sandy. Oh, Good Lord. But also, like that face. Come on, Portland. <laughs> Come on, Portland. <laughs> that face was huge. It was. It's so disturbing. That's the front door. <laughs> oh God! Come on, Portland. Like it just, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard to put it in the context of you know our our the twenty twenty two of it all. Well, not even really hard. Like, but to try to try to get people to understand that. You know, this only happens when you don't see black people, people as human. human. You yeah, know, you don't. Yeah. You only see them as like cattle or a character end or a commodity yeah. or whatever. Because like this is this is egregious. Like it's ridiculous. This the poem, the figurines. I'm sure that they probably didn't describe in the book, but you you automatically had that image in your head. Oh God, hit me of, in the stomach. You know, blackface figurines like. They, yeah. These are things that only happen because, you know, a, a, an entire race of people are seen as basically a cartoon. Yeah. Right. Not, right. Not alive. We should say to the listeners, I did not introduce this. I know we have, Portia and I have disclosed that we are white to the listeners. And I want to disclose that B is black for the conversation. Black, blackity black. Yes. <laughs> most like people are Martin listening. American. Just to understand that Portia and I are, are white Americans and B is a black American. And that's where we're coming from in this conversation. Yeah. So I, but though, yeah, so that's the part that's such a, I don't know, because when she wrote this and made this complicated plot, and I was looking at the agathachrissy.com, and they just kind of said, and then and the title changed. They don't really mention, um, but more what they're talking about is that it was a really complicated plot and she spent a lot of time on the plot and tried to match it to the poem which had existed before um yeah and- we, we were looking up and the, the the poem existed in some degree for at least 100 years before or yeah right years or yeah and so, like you know depending on who who they were marginalizing <laughs> but it right. definitely and so she probably was thinking, oh, I want to use this poem and this counting rhyme because it mentions dying and didn't even like register. Or I think, in, I think as you say, I do think because that, because she does that sometimes, I do think that she was doing that play on, like, like you were saying too, B, that like, oh, we're going to use this fact of like these, this dehumanized poem and like to dehumanize the character yeah yeah to use that to dehumanize you know the the people in 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 the, you know the characters in the book and so to her it, it was a it was a useful tool but the the fact of like people being dehumanized to begin with except for that thing where she's like the person who also killed black people he's also a murderer 
Like that was the right. only, you know, comment on that. Right, right. But I just, I want it to be longer ago. I just feel like 1939 is too recent. Well, it also like, it's, what's really fascinating is, and I think there's another one of hers where 39 and 38 in Britain, uh, this is me going into history teacher mode. There was a Do lot it. of Do racism. It. History in- teach. <laughs> Stop interrupting me then. Yeah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> How do you get through an episode? <laughs> me mostly interrupting her a lot? Yeah. Get like, there was a lot of racism and anti Semitism in Britain in 38, 39. And then as soon as people started fighting the Nazis, then people were like, oh shit, so maybe that's bad? And so the switch, even in her books, between books that were written in 38, 39, where they're like, because she has made comments about Jewish people. She definitely had the Asian fetishism and all this stuff. But then during the war, like once the war started, and then especially after, there's a lot more of like, oh, um, yeah, no, that's bad. That's totally bad. You know, and in a way that's, but the the rise of that fascist um, otherism that was happening in Germany was also happening in England. I mean, heck, um, apparently, who was the, the guy who abdicated the throne? Um, uh, the guy... That's in the wrong crowd here. Yep. I, okay, well, there yeah. was a... Science a king of, pop culture. Was a, <laughs> we, got, we got nothing. Okay, fair. There History... Was a, Sounds like no. No. So the there was a, the King of England in the um early thirties. King's speech. Stop it. Um abdicated and left the throne so the forced American lady. Oh, so and then um because that would make him so they were like, You can't marry a divorced American lady. So he left the throne for her and then somebody else became the king, like his younger brother, and it was a thing. Um, not long before World War II started. I'm trying to remember how long. But anyway, apparently that guy who abdicated was like, ah, Hitler, he's not bad. I mean, you know. And so there were definitely parts in England who were flirting yeah. with this, you know, hey, you know, their ideas aren't that bad. And then there's such a switch, and I see it in her writing as as well as a bunch of other British and American people's writing in the 40s and 50s where they're like, oh, no, 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 that's totally bad. Racism, bad. Anti-Semitism is bad. But before the war, it's like, really? I didn't see you going, you know, so it's a weird, it wasn't until they had the enemy of the Nazis to be like, um, so that's because this is written in 30 uh, published in 39 i don't know if it was written it sounds like it was a complicated book to write um but it was published in 39 which is right before the war but people were still at this weird where racism was still okay it was still cool and then it wasn't you know they won't say that in america but well i mean because it very much like i've uh, during the initial pandemic, I caught up on a little bit of world history, a little bit of like World War II, especially. And it just seemed like, like you said, 
it was this huge switch that flipped mostly because like the pictures came out and they right. saw all of the bodies and you know before like racism was just very much like a, okay but i mean like i don't want him living here i don't want at least european racism was like well i don't want them living over here you know send them over there or send them to another country and then they saw like the trains and the camps and all of the meth literal meth fueled ideas that came to life and they're like okay well maybe we should back up a little bit <laughs> right right <laughs> and then like but the like the contrast to that you know when you have black americans like kind of still living the violence and everything over here in the states you know you had like this idea of you know we fought evil in world war ii and we eradicated it what do you negro still doing here like it was very much kind of that, <laughs> that right right weird juxtaposition there was a lot of yeah um cognitive dissonance where you're like that is bad except for you guys i don't like you guys either but yeah. oh yeah racism is bad by the way, the name of the guy who abdicated the throne was Edward the Eighth, and then uh, his, that was close. <laughs> his brother, longer brother George, because we came. There hasn't been enough King Georges. Uh, George the Sixth um, became king after he um, uh, after he abdicated. But yeah, he. Um, he was the after he abdicated because he abdicated in 36 and then after he abdicated he was the you know went to france but then a bunch of people said he was a nazi sympathizer and he was appointed governor of the bahamas okay what? um so anyway <laughs> What? Because colonialism. It comes back around to colonialism. Yes, colonialism. Yeah, yeah. I just started teaching World War One in the, my U.S. history classes today, and so I was definitely like, and colonialism. So. <laughs> for the so for the much. for the listeners, Portia just did a big swirly gesture <laughs> for swirly. colonialism, which colonialism. is very appropriate. You shift the whole laptop, which is Blame. very appropriate. <laughs> colonialism oh, spiral, just all up in spiral spiral swirl. <laughs> oh, I managed to yell about it quite a bit in both uh, U.S. history and economics. So yeah, recently. Anyway, um, so. Random, yeah, we had to go into British history there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what do we think? Have we have we talked about all that is bad? I mean, he, yes and no. I mean, I'm thinking they'll come back up because, of course, as we've said, it's integral to the plot. Right. And it's very disturbing. So, like, the there's so many things that are disturbing in the book. And the one of the major things is, is that this poem... That exist and it's a basis for the story and so we'll, we'll obviously we'll come back to that um but i suppose we could start getting into the plot and the people and all the things and we've already done spoilers like everyone dies <laughs> it is a horror book it is a horror book here's your title spoiler everyone dies <laughs> spoiler everyone dies um would you like to stay around for the book portion of the uh talk um i mean you want to go make friends with the bee <laughs> <laughs> i 
All right, I mean, you guys are just going to get into the, the story of it all. Yeah, what you, what she, not read. B did not read, but I did give her a Cliff Notes version over dinner tonight. <laughs> I mean, I think I could stick around and, and listen. I probably won't uh, be able to contribute too much, except for, I'll be, I'll be as annoying as you are. <laughs> I did. Very annoying. Well, just yeah. know, the rule is, if we get way too sidetracked, then we bring ourselves back by saying, Bobby made a sandwich, or Lady What's-Her-Face did some coke. What was, what was the lady's name? Lady... I can't remember her name. Lady something. She did. Oh, God. So we'll get off track up to say, okay, Bobby got a sandwich. Do, do some coke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so make a sandwich. Get the ninja coke. Your butt has okay about it. <laughs> make a cocaine sandwich. Um... <laughs> Right. Um, as a, just as a, as a note here um, for the, the little last bit about this horrible, horrible original title. God, when I just see it, I'm looking at Beast right <laughs> now. Flashing, like, just flashes, like, ah! flashes back to the image of like the original book title with the Edward in it. I'm just like, ah, I need to blur <laughs> from my eyes. It's just, it's just. <laughs> but um, it says here, novel was later, was later retitled and then there were none in 1939 and remains one of her famous works. The Spanish and Russian titles of Christie's novel today are still referencing black people. And the German children's song with a different me melody is still one of those, uh, one of those words is definitely Negro. So it's still there. So Spain, <laughs> Germany, and Russia still continuing the racism. Which, you know, not, not surprised. Not, oh God. not shocked. entirely shocked. <laughs> oh my God. I heard a story today on NPR about uh, gay and trans people fleeing Ukraine and going into Poland. And Poland has anti-trans laws and yeah. anti-gay laws. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So on top of everything else, where they're fleeing to, it was just one of those like, oh, God, does everybody have to be horrible on top of horrible? Yeah, right. that, like that's, we have we have the racism on top with people trying to flee facing racism, people trying to flee, facing... and that's if they can get out because there are trans women that don't have the correct gender markers on their IDs, so they can't leave because it still says male. Oh God! Ugh. So they have to fight because no males can leave. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know. I, I I did not know until I heard that story that Poland had anti-gay laws. Mm. I knew that Russia did, and I knew that some of those other ones, but I did not know about Poland. And I'm like, I I don't know why I thought well, that Poland was better I didn't than know Texas. That but Ukraine didn't. Yeah, I just I that I just found out just now. Right. Yeah. Well, so, but, no. so which but means for, it was a safe place for them. They won't and until then, they Jesus. Sorry. Uh, we spiraled. Bobby got a sad sandwich. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby got a cocaine sandwich. Podcast, if anyone listens to this podcast, it's not to hear about the terrible world. We, talk, we, about we, want, we want to talk about murder to distract ourselves from war. From murder. <laughs> from war. <laughs> Pandemics <laughs> and war. Remember, we started this to distract ourselves from pandemic. But somehow pandemic season four turned into fucking Gen X World War Three. What did you so, say? The grandchildren of Omicron? Oh yeah, I was like, we were trying to make plans for <laughs> me and I were talking about making plans for the fall or something. And I was like, well, whatever the grandchildren are, of Omicron are gonna be doing, we're probably gonna be <laughs> It just sounds like a Dune book. Like it sounds like one of the books from Dune. <laughs> 
grandchildren of Omicron. Yes. For the fall? <laughs> I know. Isn't it weird to think about making plans further than like two weeks? Because at any moment, here comes whatever the next letter after Omicron. I don't know Greek letters because I was not in a Greek organization. Because I've discovered that the only people who know those letters were in fraternities and sororities. It's Panera. It's Panera. <laughs> Wait, hold on. The next letter is Panera. I'm trying to look it up, but it's all in Greek. Oh, God. The the next Greek letter is in Greek? It's Pi. Oh, we can't ruin Pi with a a variant. Skip Pi. It's either Pi or Rho or Sigma, but the the, the SG Rho's are going to be pissed. We can can give all the the Greeks, they can they can have a variant. Delta already had to have one, but don't don't, <laughs> don't ruin pie. <laughs> the Delta's already had to deal with a variant. <laughs> oh, but actually, SG bro, all of my friends in college, I was. Yes, I, we know this. You all of your friends were SG bro. Well, we don't so, want them to get a variant. We don't want yeah, us I to don't, hear it in their name. <laughs> we don't want I them know, to Yeah, let's do not, no Roe variants. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, but Bobby got a cocaine sandwich. Okay, Bobby. Let's talk about the- <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what they right. said. I think um, we're far enough in that we need to do a break for our non-sponsored sponsored slot so that we can uh, refresh the, the audio and our beverages and then okay. we can come back and get into the plot. and we're back so now we're going to get into the plot of and then there were none uh which we've already talked about is not a murder mystery it is a horror i mean it it is a murder mystery because you have to figure out who did it right but it's more like watching a horror movie, which I haven't watched a lot. I have watched some of, uh, I think, the first Scream. And so the whole, like, who is behind the Scream mask, right? Like, there's that, right? I haven't even watched the first Scream. I, you, you and I avoid horror as much as we can. It's so I do. I, and be consumed as much as possible. I, yeah, I have problems. <laughs> so, but, like, in... As, you know, in the horror of Scream, but also in a lot of horror movies, and correct me if I'm wrong, B, the premise of a lot of it is everybody's, like, dropping off one by one, and you're trying to figure out who the murderer is. Yep. But it's, and so, that's like this. And so there's literally... The history of horror, like, was this typical of other horror at that time? Or did she, you know... Is this like in other works that we've read of hers where like she's sort of the first of a kind? She might be the first because, you know, a lot of if, if I'm thinking of movies from back then, if you're talking about like monster flicks, you know, you guys are Dracula. You might have your mummy and you, know, you might have a monster situation, but not like a not like a serial. This killer. is a slasher. Yeah, right. This is a, uh, and it has some of the tropes that we now associate with horror movies like who is yeah like i have all the people saw but like reading this i was like i feel like this is like saw like where you like have this like kind of like everybody knows it's gonna go terrible kind of situation like you're in a situation and you know you're gonna die there's nothing right 
about it. Right. And so, and including the final girl trope. I mean, it's got a lot of horror tropes. Like, they're in a contained place, right? So right. there's only a limited there's amount no of people. And somebody's killing everyone, and you're trying to figure out who, who did it. But unlike horror movies where you get to the final girl and she survives, and that's one, so everyone dies. We give the context um, if people haven't read it recently or at all. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she, she just tapped, she just shoved me on the shoulder there. She just... Yeah, in case you didn't know, that was, she was okay, talking about you. Racist, you don't have to read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the setup of this book is all these people get an invitation to an island racist island um but so some people are invited socially by an acquaintance to like a guest get letters invited from a friend of a friend the doctor gets hired to to you know, look at the the owner's wife probably there's, for like mental exhaustion lady problem there's <laughs> there's uh, a man and wife uh, like who are butler and housekeeper and they're brought in just for this there's a woman who's hired to be the wife's secretary there's a, a former cop who's hired to be like an investigator looking at the whole crowd right so every single one has a premise to come that they're like oh i'm going to this island it's supposed to be for a few days it's a fancy island and it apparently was built by um a rich person and so it's got all the amenities. It's like if you could be right, on it's a an very island. modern house, they say it's not an old historical house. It's a modern house that was owned by a millionaire whose wife didn't like the sea, so he just sold it. And they there's been all this mystery about who bought it. Was it a famous actress? Was it you know, there was all this mystery about who just bought it, but they didn't really know. And apparently before they had had wild parties on the island. People would right. come and rich people would come and party. Right, and it's off the coast of some regular town, and so the regular townspeople of this fishing village are used to just, like, weirdo, rich people, frivolous people coming through to go to the island. So they don't really find it unusual when this group so shows up. But because of the, the way that they're invited, there's kind of the wide range of society. There's a judge. There's a doctor. There's a woman who's hired to be the secretary. There's the housekeeper and butler couple. There's a adventurer guy yeah soldier of fortune is what they call her but he was definitely a colonizer yeah like, colonizer dude there's another old lady who an old lady uptitled lady probably racist definitely oh, definitely <laughs> um there's a uh a world war one war hero um mm-hmm. and then a mm-hmm. young man who is an asshole right who's just like an asshole who likes to drive cars. Also racist. Definitely. Rich, rich. I mean, yeah. We're, well, we're just going to assume all of them are. But yes. <laughs> but yeah, so, so there's this wide range. And they all get to the island. The local fisherman guy with the boat drops them all off. And is like, cool, we'll be back. And then they're, they're, they're stranded on this island. And there is no boat to leave. So they, they're literally stranded on this island. And, and when so- they arrive, the weather is good. But it immediately becomes stormy. And so they um, get there and the butler and housekeeper are like, welcome. Um, 
the hosts aren't here yet. We got our instructions, but we're like, we'll take your coats and give you your rooms. And we've been told what to do and we'll serve dinner and all the things. And then Vera, the young woman is like, oh, I'm supposed to be the secretary. So I'll do this. And everybody gets a room. And so then they have dinner and they have a nice dinner and they're relaxed, but also they all found, because apparently there's a copy of the poem, which we talked about before the break, both in the main living room with all the figurines and in every single person's bedroom. Right, there's a copy of this this poem that starts with 10 and counts down with them all dying. Oh, speaking of which, I wanted to say, um, we didn't talk about it in the first part. I apologize because we talked about the use of 10 little Indians and we referred to American Indians because that's a term that some people use and that the book uses. Uh, but I wanted to own that not all native people are okay with that term. Right. Either. So just, just, just owning that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I was, yeah. All bad. All bad. All bad. All all bad. And the, and the, the anti-native racism is just as bad as the anti-black racism. It's all bad. Uh, it's all bad. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just uncomfortable laughing. Thank you for explaining that you did We're working on it. Whew. Okay, here we go. We're getting Back to it. the book. There you go. Okay. So um, anyway, they have a lovely dinner, but they're like, this is weird. Our, our, our hosts aren't here. And the other thing was, is that everybody got a weird, like, Owens. Their last name was Owen, the hosts. And so it's like U-N Owen was on all of the hosts somehow. Right. Um, and then... Uh, no the one finished. there has actually met the person that has met right. the host, Owen. Right. Owen and his wife. Ulick Norman Owen and Una Nancy Owen. And um, so they um, so they're have having dinner. drinks, chilling after dinner, and then all of a sudden, through the walls, voice of God comes out. Is like you all stand accused, and goes one by one through everybody about like so and so, you killed so and so, so and so, you killed this person, and, and, and prior to that, you know, being the classes people that we are we wouldn't have thought of the cook and the butler as part of this, right? Because we're, we're thinking that there's eight guests or maybe we're thinking that there's seven guests plus a secretary plus, the, you know, some people are just staff. Um, but the, the voice of God that's accusing everyone of murder makes it clear that every single human in the, in the room is accused of murder. And so right. that's where we kind of figure out that there's actually 10 people on the island and no matter how they came in, even if they're supposed to be working there, no one knows the host and everyone has been accused of murder. So then um, Judge Wargrave says, does anybody know who the hosts are? And everyone's like, well, I thought it was this. I thought it was this. They all start and to compare notes and be like how they were, they were all kind of invited through a friend of a friend kind of situation or a little confusing, but no one actually knows the host at all. And that, and, and I think it's Judge um, Wargrave who says, "Oh, look, it's you and Owen, unknown." Right. Like so, he's like basically the, the this is someone setting us up and saying that like the host is unknown. 
Right. So he's the one who first, um, yeah, first says that. Um, and he takes and, the lead. Judge Judge Wargrave takes the lead. And it's like, okay, let's all compare notes because this is some weird stuff going on. So let's all compare notes and figure out what we know and what's going on here. So he's the John Cusack of the of the movie. If you take so, if you've ever seen Identity, the setup is exact same. Exact same. Really? Yeah. Except. It's, so this, is this source material for Identity? I it might be. I think I vaguely remember hearing or reading something about how identity is like loosely based on and then there were none because it's a bunch of like 10 people that show up at a motel in the middle of the night bad weather and um they all are trying to figure out how to get to where they're going but it's if any of the listeners have ever seen identity i'm not going to spoil the thing but it's spoil it it's old it's i mean it is old but like we spoil things it would be too, all right so they end up at this i'll put it in the show notes <laughs> they end up at this if you motel. don't want identity 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 to be spoiled fast forward now Spoiler warning. Uh, so all of these people show up at this motel and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's almost very dreamlike. And there's re- the reason for that is, is that these people are not real. They're part of a person's identity. They're part of, they're in a person's brain. They're essentially the personalities oh. of a serial killer that's being sent to death row. They're trying to figure out whether or not he is sane for trial or insane. Um, and the, the, so you have the one side where John Cusack plays one of the 10 and there's like you know Ray Liotta, and there's a bunch of people in it. But they, once they all get to the motel and they realize they're rained and flooded in, they can't go anywhere. They start to to go over the similarities between them. So they find out that they're all from different states, but they all have the same birthday. And like all of these other kind of like synchronicities happen. And mm-hmm. but and in the movie. Um, one by one, they all end up dying. And they're like, well, who the hell is the killer? Um, and, well, that's actually the actual ending, but I'm not going to spoil that. So, who the killer is. Ha! See? Only partial spoilers. <laughs> partial spoilers, yeah. But interesting. So, then another one. Yeah, I was, you know, while you, were, while you were explaining it, I'm like, okay, what movie is like, it's like, well, I'll, Saw, yeah, kind of, like, on in the premise that all of these people were chosen because they'd all done something wrong. But... Um, in a very like gruesome, I don't really want to watch this way, and they kind of mess it up because there's like 18 saws. But um, but identity is more so faithful to the, and then there were none. Fun fact: we, me and I, were looking through the Wikipedia prior to recording, and they were kind of on the Wikipedia. They were going through all the different things that have derived from it, like films and adaptations in different language. There's an adult film um, called Ten Little Maidens. <laughs> So in case you were wondering if there is an adult film spinoff of this, there yes, is. Yes, there is a porn. If you could think of it, there is a porn. So there's a porn of this. So I'm guessing they don't die. They just have sex in different ways. I don't know. I didn't click the link. I didn't click the link. It's a, it's a little death of sorts. It's a little death. I'm here all week. I'm here. Glad to be on the show. <laughs> oh okay. god okay so bobby bobby had a cocaine sandwich <laughs> so um so we've just figured out that things are weird and when things get weird and the voice of god plays the housekeeper faints right and everybody so, like 
they have right. to like you know it's old times so they entered it it's always brandy give her whatever <laughs> not feeling well it's like give her some brandy stat she passed then, out give her some more alcohol so she can be more inebriated <laughs> give her some brandy stat she's like oh thank you go there then she goes to bed right and I'm, then everyone's like there. starts talking about the recording like what was that and then the butler's like well i was told to play that right. record it, i was told it was there playing behind the 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 room and the butler was like yeah that was part of my instructors i was supposed i thought it was going to be after dinner music yeah because it was called something weird like just desserts or you know like yeah yeah but anyway they some of them now talk about their accusations so some of them are like oh that's this but no like everyone denies it and says how it's nonsense but they some of them start to talk about their what they were accused of Right. And then a couple of them are like, that's not the name you told us you had, because there was at least one person who came and was using a fake name because they had been told that they were going to be undercover. Who's now a PI was there supposed to be undercover. So he was using a fake name. So he's like, okay, so now I see I'm not really being a PI. I'm also right. So he admits his real name, but then if everyone's already not trusting him because he lied about his name. Right. So they're chatting. They're kind of But then everybody says, I need a drink. And the one guy who came across as the biggest asshole during the night, which is this young guy who drove really fast there and talked about what he was accused of was hit and run and killed two people. And he was like, Oh yeah, I mean, I was driving fast and they got in my way and it was it sucked. Because the fact that they died, I couldn't, my license got suspended. Yeah, and they, they go, well, it's for them too. And he goes, oh, yeah, I suppose. Like, I suppose he was that. Die, but it really sucked for me that my license was suspended. And so right after that, everybody was like, oh, I need a drink. And he took a drink, choked, fell down, and he was dead. And, yep. and people were like, what the actual fuck? You know, like, and what's then, happening? There's a doctor there, so he, like, investigates and smells the thing and is like, potassium cyanide or whatever, whatever, old-timey, <laughs> old-timey something. Arsenic. Poisoning. Poison. It wasn't arsenic, but it was something. So anyways, he was basically <laughs> like, he he was, you know, he, he, he said that it, you know, was de- not just that he, because they were like, oh, he had a heart attack. In the middle of taking that sip, <laughs> and the doctor right. was like, "No, he took it." And then they were like, "Oh, he he committed suicide." I was like, "That guy did not seem suicidal." So, but then they put him in his room, like the dead body in his room, and they're like, "Well, that's weird. Let's go to Let's bed." Go to bed. This place <laughs> weird. But the guy who brought him on the boat said. I'll be back in the morning, and he came every morning. According to right. the, so this is so this is not someone who's part of the party, someone who's a local villager who lives in you know across the water in the village is supposed to come in the boat every morning. Right, and he had been for the butler and his wife, like had been for a couple of days, like every morning at nine o'clock he would come. So people are like, well, this is weird. Okay, well we'll just leave in the morning. So they everybody goes to bed. And then they get up and they're like looking for breakfast. Um, and there's no breakfast because the housekeeper died. So yeah, she died in her sleep. Kid, but after but, the murder accusations, she didn't wake up in the morning. And 
her husband is trying to like make breakfast and do work and he seems very shook up and like what the hell but he's still doing his job which found to be very weird um but there's that kind of interesting thing that like like his wife is dead and he's like i'm trying to get breakfast together for everyone and like this i know that a lot of it uh do I have sympathy for the people because they all end up being murderers but there's a little bit like of like dude your wife died perhaps you don't have to do yeah but also there's a classism where like they were just like oh he's doing the best he can but you know his wife died today so let him take a little extra time they weren't like hey guy right why don't you be off today and we'll make our own breakfast they were just like let's be patient let him right. serve a little more slowly. Like the classism was still very oh, much so there. much. It wasn't like, oh, maybe he doesn't want to work today. His wife died last night. Right. It was, yeah, it's weird. And, and their murder, so the, the first death was the guy who had run over some people. Um, the husband and wife, butler and housekeeper, they were accused of um, a woman that they worked for who was, you know, an older woman and had some chronic illness. And so basically the accusation there was that they didn't give her a medication that would have saved her because they right. were going to inherit when she died. And they took right. a little, they went and got help, but they didn't, basically they knew if they took long enough to get help and didn't give her the medication in the meantime that she would die. And there's again, right. no way to prove that, but right. the woman died and they got a legacy when she died. Right. Um, And the other thing is that after the first two deaths, they notice there's these, as we talked about in the first part, there's these figurines of the 10 little. Whatever they are. Right. Um, And after the guy dies, one is missing. And then after the woman dies, a second one is missing. So that's creepy. Right. And so people are like, what? So then there's a general general macarthur which apparently for later his name gets changed because we had a general macarthur in um uh the world war ii so you know. oh <laughs> oh um, yeah yeah so the head of the allied forces in europe was general macarthur so anyway but anyway so general macarthur in um the story was a world war one general and he was accused of killing uh, a guy and he starts having this interior monologue so we don't get to hear the interior monologue of everybody like the first three people who died the first two people we died definitely did not but mm-hmm. he we got to hear the interior monologue of and he starts talking about the fact that he loved his wife and then he found out that his wife was cheating on him with this guy who was under his command in world war one and he found out because she sent letters and switched the envelopes. So she got the letter. So he got World the letter. Girl, you better. She <laughs> mailed her lover's letter to her husband, who is the commanding officer of her lover. Right. Girl, check, d- check, double check. Like, I mean, if you're going to live this life, that's, that's, this be is better just, at it. This is just an old timey version of, of being in the wrong DMs. But that's totally. what I'm saying. 
it seems so much easier to make a mistake electronically. Like, you know but what I mean? When envelopes. Yeah. Your dick pic to your mom. It's like, oops, <laughs> because, like, you know, these things are in your fingers and a lot of things. Are like, you sending? That was oddly specific. <laughs> <laughs> I neither have dick pics and now I've never sent any pics to my mom. I mean, I don't know what goes on. Your <laughs> I don't have a dick pic. Ah. <laughs> I know. I was out last weekend because, you know, pandemics are not over, but we're pretending a little bit. So I was out last weekend with my 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 best friend, Scott, and I was out with, with guys, with all gay guys. And they got into a conversation about, like, how many dick pics they all had in their phone. And a couple oh, of them only had a couple of them themselves that they would use, like, oh, if someone needs a dick pic, I have these on call. <laughs> Like you only have two? Like I have five hundred. Like how do you only have two in your phone? And then they looked at me, and I was like, I don't. We We don't don't do do that. that. (laughs) You just send your vulva to someone. (laughs) (laughs) It would be so. Just like no one would be like, oh, ooh, I got a vulva. (laughs) Ma'am, are are you okay? Do you need? I think you need to drink more water. Like I'm not sure. Yeah. I didn't even know how to contribute to the conversation. I was like, even when I was single, it's not like I would just like send pictures. Of well, and as someone who got perfect. them, it was the weirdest thing to get. Just on a side note, it was the weirdest thing to be like, because it was always unsolicited. It's not like I ever said, please send me one. But they, <clears throat> they always sent it from the point of view of themselves, right? which is looking down their body, which from the point of view of me is never the way I look at a person. So I'm always like, um, what? <laughs> if, it, if, if, if they did have a tripod and, and, and gave it from a different angle, would it, would, would it be better received? Slightly. But also I would never, I can never imagine myself ever saying, you know what I'd like you to do is strip naked <laughs> And then get a tripod and then because of course they also want to do it with an erection and so there's this weird like so but I was always like this is something that you thought that I wanted to oh god you know? so this is this is why this feeds into my theory of homosexuality making sense because two men again like being in I was just when I was last weekend I was with a group of gay men and like to all of them, picture of a penis, sexual. Great. I think to most heterosexual women, and as our as the token heterosexual woman in the room right now, Portia, you can speak to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think most heterosexual women are like, I mean, I guess. <laughs> like, no, no. Straight women are not seeking out dick pics. But gay men are. Right. I guess so. I never thought about that. Men want to set up to women because they think like, oh, she'd want to see this. And they right. probably do want you to send them their vo- your Volvo back, but you're not going to not because that's to. so weird. Absolutely it's, not. It, it's so weird. It's so weird. We should Bad probably... are not a thing. And also, it's much more <laughs> difficult to get a good shot of of a badge. But this thing. is what I'm saying. I never saw I a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, mean, I, nev- I never saw a good shot. But also, it was also... I mean, honestly person i had never met just started chatting with sent me one while i was working giving finals 
at work. And I was like, <laughs> why? Why? And it was so disturbing because I was like trying to focus on work. And you know how your phone can give you previews of the message? So it's like a tiny little picture. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> You're like, I'm a respectable teacher. Don't send me genitalia while I'm at work. But also, like, in what universe at 8.30 in the morning? Is this oh, a good God. idea? No. <laughs> Don't let me finish my coffee before you send me your genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much we can keep in of this part. Bobby, Bobby took a dick pic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a sandwich. I oh, think people God. definitely are tuning into the episode on there were none to hear about. This. How did we get there? Oh, God. Get, the envelope. Social media. This is what yeah. happened. How do we get? Where were we? And how do we get back envelopes. there? General envelopes. MacArthur's wife sent her letter to her. Envelopes. That's right. The envelopes. Cocaine envelopes. Saying, it seems so hard to make that mistake, especially if you're a cheater. You're gonna double check your letters and like Clearly not. maybe send the ones to your husband on Monday and the ones to your lover on Wednesday. Like just keep it straight, girl. Keep it straight. See, that would require organization. If you're gonna live this life, live this life. Like I just feel like. Also, I I love how you're planning this out. You this is very specific for you. I just. I just... I was mad at her for being so, because I was just like, I think it's so easy in the electronic world to like, you know, I, I literally have sent a text to our mom about our mom that I meant to send to Portia. Like that happened. Right. Like, that like, has happened. I yeah. like, I'm going to be disowned because I talked about, I talked shit to her on a text to her thinking I was sending it to you. So like, I'm just saying that that happens. Right. That's my right. version of sending a pic. It's actually just. <laughs> Just bit. complaining about mom, to mom, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but I compared her to her own mom, which is the worst insult to her, right? <laughs> now it's on this podcast. No, but I feel bad for it. She she already knows because she got it, <laughs> right? And it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, Vivi just died. It was not happening. I was, ah. <laughs> well, that and that's the same with this envelope situation. Her. Her husband's gone. She's got this other lover situation going on. She's got, you know, it's two, two different, like, I mean, how, how unique do you think both of these letters are? Like, I'm guessing she said a lot of the same things. I miss exactly. you terribly. I'm thinking about you at night. You know, she, you know, yeah. That scene from nurse, from nurse Jackie, where she has both phones, one to each ear. She's like, yep, love you too. And then hangs both of them up at the same time. Like <laughs> to her husband, to her, her husband and the guy that she's fucking for drugs. Back to cocaine. Woo! <laughs> full circle. Full circle. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so I get that. But it also, when he said it, he said it's the old, like, this is a trope. Like, he said it like it's a trope in stories. Like, she sent it to him and to see switch, switched envelopes or got Actually, the wrong envelope. Was, I think, because, you know, in every, I think, I would say every. I could be wrong. Agatha Christie book. There's a reference to, there's a meta reference to it being a book. And I think that's where she throws it in, where she's, he's like, it's just like in a book. Or maybe it's Vera does it. But there's definitely a reference in this where there's like, in a book, it would be this, or it's like in a book. And that might be where she threw it in, where it's like, 
right it's yeah kind of like the trope from a book right right so apparently it's a trope to send the wrong message or letter or whatever apparently we've been doing this for hundreds of years so. people have been bad at cheating for um, yeah obvi <laughs> of course yeah where do these books and stories come from? Of course they're terrible right. at it. <laughs> right. I don't know. I was just like, how do you send the actual... I was just thinking, because like, in a phone, it seems so easy to send a text to your sister, to your mom, about your mom. Ah, but like, yeah. <laughs> with an actual, like, wait. Because even now, when I send something, which is so rare, when you send something in the mail, you're like, is a stamp on there? Her address. I mean, right. well, see her like having she she wrote both letters, she put them in envelopes, and then she addressed them wrong. Yeah, because you're not gonna reopen the envelope to figure out right. what you're not gonna waste the envelope or the postage. <laughs> so she's trying to do everything efficiently. I love how much time we're spending. On this. I know she's she trying to do so efficiently. And she wrote, she was just like, well, let me just roll this dice. Also, I'm tired of being in this marriage anyway. So whatever. I know, but maybe she, maybe she was like, maybe she'll kill Why, him. Right, right. Because, of course, Freud would say that on purpose. All, whatever somebody does that, they're doing it because they want to get caught. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the point is, her lover was his... Um, Commander. And, like, at- and you can definitely tell from the story that, like, his wife was younger than him, and the person who who she fell in love with or who was she was cheating with was her same age mm. right and so he had a like weird he was like, so glad that she took a motherly interest in him that she that she finally got along with one of his friends but like they were the same age and he was right. older right so he didn't and even see it coming so I mean, then it's in 1939 oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry so then <laughs> I was trying to go further with the plot and you guys got derailed by dick pics and you guys are lesbians. Come on. This is, all right. That, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's gone. Keep on ketchup. All right. Sepiatone cocaine sandwich. Let's go. Okay. So General MacArthur in his interior monologue we found out like he tells his whole story about how he finds out and then he's like really mad at the guy and he sends him off on a suicide mission during world war one to die and then goes home to his wife and like doesn't tell her what he did um but then she gets sick and dies and like he never got her back because she was sad and then got sick after she he sent the guy off to his death and so he, over the course of that second day, oh, oh, that's the other thing. The guy from the boat never shows up. Right. Because the and weather so everybody, is terrible. People are boat. Like, okay, let's get off this island. There's a dead guy here, a dead woman. And then, like, he never shows up. But then General MacArthur just sits looking at the water and he's like, yeah, we're all going to die. And we all deserve it. I deserve it. And he's like, yeah, I did this thing. I did it because I love my wife. I sent the one, the man he, she loved off to his death. And I deserve to be punished for it. So he starts saying this to the other people. And everybody else on the island is like, okay, you crazy. Like, this is not happening. I don't know what you're talking about. 
And, um, but they did start to realize that the figurines in the poem uh, are starting to be weird, but then they all go and sit down and to dinner. He, how does the general die? He was, look, he was sitting looking out on the water and everybody's kind of waiting for the guy with the boat who doesn't show. And then they go back to have lunch. And Dr. Armstrong says, I'll go get him. And then he comes back and said, he's dead. He was hit on the head, like a heavy blow, like hit really hard on the head. Okay. But yeah, but, but what, I, what I meant was like, it's clearly violent death. There's no way it's suicide. So at that point, that's when they're like, okay, something's going down here. Because right, because the first one was saying like, maybe it was suicide, maybe something weird. And then the woman is like, maybe the husband did it, or maybe she took too much sleeping draft. But they're like, okay, this third one is kid on the head, like in a violent way. So now we know someone's killing us. And the and the three figurines are gone. Right. And they realize the three figurines were gone. And the we didn't talk about the poem itself, but um I have that at the bottom of our document. Um, like the poem says, and I'm not going to say the offensive part, one choked his little self and then there were nine. And that first guy drank uh, his drink and choked. And then the second one says one overslept himself and then there were eight and she died in her sleep. And then the third part of the poem said, uh, what? One said he'd stay there, and then there were seven. So that one was a little bit confusing. Um, but anyway, like, doesn't quite work with her pattern. Um, but that that's when people are like, wait a minute, there's there's a um, correlation between the two. Well, it kind of works with the, you're talking about with the um, the general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, he, because he sits down, he's like, we're never getting off the island, right? Right. So one stayed there, and then there were seven. Right, right. So he was, yeah. So then people are like, oh my God, so there must be someone here. So then it turns into the horror movie, we have to find the guy killing us. Right. So and then uh, and uh, Wargrave, who's, Justice Wargrave, who was the judge, takes mm -hmm. the lead, and he's like, okay. Like he's he's kind of like pulling the men in all together, and he's like, "So this must be happening," and blah blah blah. And they decide to search the island. And so they search for the killer. They quickly search the island to make sure that there's nowhere that anybody could be hiding on the island because it's a tiny little island. It's just big enough for this house. So they search like the caves and coves and stuff and make sure that there's like no right where the shed the, the, the yeah. killer is is hiding on the island. And they decide that it's just them. And so there were 10 people and now there's seven. And so then it turns into one of the looking seven. Each other. Like now they're all like crazy looking, bug, bug eyeing, looking at each other. Like one of us is the killer. Right. And so then it's like, yeah. So then um, they have another night. Um, but it's like, everyone's like, oh, what the heck? Um, and the next day, the butler is found chopped in the head by an axe. So that's fun. Um, and the poem had the said, poem had, 
something about chopping, chopping themselves in halves and then they were sick. Yeah, chopping yeah. sticks. Yeah. So, so, and then, uh, so, so that we had talked about the deaths um, that those first four people had done. So then we have to talk about Mrs. Brent, who is not Mrs. Marple. She is the most horrible old lady. And so the premise is. Well, yeah. So when they, so after the accusations, most of them denied, but told the story of what they were accused of. And she didn't, she didn't, she didn't say anything. And she did this like, you know, haughty old maid thing. Like, I don't have to justify myself to anyone. Whereas most of the people kind of like told the story and denied it. But later, privately, to the other woman, to Vera, she says, yes, um, that what I was accused of, this woman, this girl who worked for me became pregnant. Of course, and they don't say we're pregnant. They say got herself yeah. in trouble. She got whatever. herself in trouble, <laughs> became in a family way. <laughs> right. I think they might have literally said that, yeah. And, um, and she... Uh, you know, she she threw out on the street, and then later that, and then soon after that girl killed herself. And, and she did not feel guilty at all. Not one ounce of remorse. She was like, "I am respectable, and you will be respectable." And she and she keep she's also wrapped herself in the Bible. There was a lot of like, "I am God worthy," and God God was you know, and God God God, and so she had no guilt at all about this teenage girl killing herself because she was thrown out on the street right um because god judging kind of thing um and so then later that day um she's found dead and she has a hole in her neck i think yeah so there was a the next thing in the poem was about bees and she heard a bee and then there was like a a sting but it was actually the the mark of a hypodermic needle mm -hmm. right and so now we're down to uh what are we down to five people left yep so now it really turns into no this podcast like, doesn't thrive on math i'm like <laughs> I'm gonna you for that number <laughs> wine um, and math and math and wine um don't forget the racism not racism. racism and wine and all. Oh my God. <laughs> so now we have five people left. And there were five. And as I said, we got to hear more. Um, we never got to hear like Miss Brent's um, interior monologue. There were some people we got interior monologue and some we didn't. Um, we got Judge some of hers. We could get a little bit of hers because she was like, she she was starting to to hallucinate a little bit before she died. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like a lot of the characters we got a little insight into them guilt spiraling right before they got murdered. Right, which definitely made it seem like we were okay with them being murdered. I mean, there was a, like a lot of yeah. Oh yeah, you definitely didn't feel bad. Like you yeah. didn't sympathize with these people. Although the guilt. Did, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, so Judge Wargrave, the way it was written, I didn't be like, oh no, Miss Brent. I was like, yeah. Oh, she was a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Judge Wargrave 
had not had a lot of uh, interior monologue and he uh, so but he had been kind of like hey we should search everything and hey we should do he this and we are the whole time and that we had enough we had a little bit internal monologue while he was reflecting back on that case where he had his thing was he had weighed in on he was a judge and so there was a case where the murderer was really charming and the defense lawyer was really good but the judge thought he was guilty so when he did the summation to the jury he was like yeah he seems great and he's charming and all but here's the evidence he did it convict him and they did and the it was perceived by the media that and by the people on the island yeah that he really flipped the jury and killed somebody who was innocent yeah or Um, killed or he flipped the jury like right right yeah and then not necessarily that the guy was innocent but that that he would have been acquitted right right so then um they search all the rooms but the five of them and now it's just one woman four men and they're all like they're all doing the thing like no one can leave the room right and Um, at some point they realize that the guy i think who who um the one who's a private detective had a gun and now it's missing so they decide to search everybody to find the gun and search the rooms and search their people so they go through and so vera and we've had a little bit of her interior monologue so we've talked a little bit about her i feel like she's had had the most interior monologue and this was agatha christie definitely trying to make a final girl trope like we're kind of rooting for her and so what she was accused of doing was um she was the governess for a young man who drowned and so she definitely boy kid 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 child sorry child and that she was acquitted because there was a inquiry into it and she had swum out to him and didn't make it and so we hear a bunch of this where she's thinking about it and has clearly some guilt about it and she also keeps referencing that she had been in love with hugo and that's all we know so far yeah, we get a and, lot of her internal but more i think of her internal than anybody else and i think that this was like um trying to make this final girl like we're rooting for her to maybe survive maybe i'm not right, sure you, you brought that up is that you felt like um you were definitely as a reader that you were rooting for her right right so anyway she goes to her room and she starts again spiraling in the way that we heard emily's interior monologue smiling where she smelled the sea when the death happened that she was responsible for and then felt somebody grab her throat and then screamed and it turns out there was seaweed hanging from her ceiling and then it tickled her neck or her face or something and um and everybody runs upstairs to find her and then yeah, it's a really it, creepy scene because she's like i smelled the sea but i'm going to bed and then she's like i feel fingers around my throat and then it turns out there's, there's a hook on the ceiling of her room and seaweed is like dangling down over the bed it's like so creepy <laughs> so then everybody's like what the hell what the hell and they finally get that calmed down right they run upstairs because she's screaming They're right like- and then they go downstairs and they find judge wargrave dead with a shower curtain over him and then 
Mrs. Brent's knitting wool on his head so he looks like a judge at court wearing the British like um, right. wig. Right, the, the red shower curtain had gone missing and they didn't know what happened to it, but then it was draped over him. And then the the gray wool had gone missing and then they when he when he's his dead body is found he, it's like the gray wool's on his head to look like a judge and i guess the the red shower curtain on his body right so now we're down to four so we've got vera the colonizer the ex-cop pi and the doctor right and everyone is incredibly suspicious of everyone. Right. Um, and so now they're doing a lot of like staying up during the night. Nobody wants to, uh, everybody's listening. Because of course they had, every night they had been going into their rooms and locking the door because clearly they're in a place with, you know, this is a horror movie book. Um, and so, but then there's like staying up <laughs> It's a horror movie book. <laughs> it's a horror book. Um, so then the cop, colonizer, and Vera all think Armstrong, they can't find him in the middle of the night. Like they hear something and they can't find him. Right. So Armstrong, who's the doctor. So then they're like, aha, it's him. Right. He, he's missing and he's he snuck out. And part of the thing is the poem at that point says swallowed a red herring and then there were i can't remember how much and red and red herring in novels is a false clue so him disappearing they're like oh my gosh he didn't actually disappear it's a red herring so then um the three that people who are left um are like okay we're gonna stick together and the former cop goes back to the house right so there at this point there's three people all staring all spider-manning each other like right like totally they're looking at each other and then but they're like but it's the doctor because he's fake dead but where is he we can't find him but also it's you so they're just like all crazy and paranoid and so they decide to sit there the sun finally comes out it's been stormy and terrible these all these days and then the sun finally comes out so the three of them are out in the sun like on the you know in the grass like no one can kill us here because it's like daylight it's light outside we can see everything so it feels safe for a minute but the one of them is like i need lunch i'm hungry it's lunchtime and the other two were like are you kidding (laughs) like first of all i'm sick of like all the canned food we've been having in the house since we can't have fresh food anymore can you really eat right now and he's like i'm going back to eat so he leaves and that is, was that Mr. Colonizer or? No, that was the cop. The cop. So the cop goes back. And then uh, mm-hmm. while he walks back to the house, a big marble clock shaped like a bear is thrown from the window and lands on his head and he dies. Right. And that, and, the, and in the poem, there's a bear thing. So it's like he's killed by a bear. Big bear hug uh, one and then there were two. So they're still thinking it's the doctor because they can't find him. And then... And then, so Vera, who's the young woman, and uh, colonizer Lombard, um, find the body of the doctor. Right, because his body washes up on the beach. So they pull his body up above the waterline, but then they're both like, wait, we thought he was the big bad guy, either him or the cop, but if if they're not the bad guy, 
Now there's two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. It's gotta right. be. So she, when they move the body up, Vera's like, we should move it out of the water as a sign of respect to the body. But it's because she gets close enough to Colonizer, who had gotten his gun back, gets his gun off of him and shoots him. Yeah, because she's like scene where they both think the other one is the murderer, and then she shoots him. And he, by the way, as we mentioned, was the guy who said, "Yeah, I left people for dead, but they were only natives." Twenty-one people, like he killed a lot of people. He basically he and another person left twenty-one people um, to die in some situation. I forget what country it was in, but they happened to be African, so to him it didn't count. Right. Right. So she shot him and then she goes back to her room and she hasn't seen anybody else. She's now alone except for you know, all the dead bodies. Tell this, portion, tell this from your perspective because you were saying, because I think I, I didn't have the same experience of you of reading it. So tell me, because you were saying that you were kind of like had that last girl syndrome that you thought she was going to pull it out. You thought maybe she wasn't a bad guy. You thought maybe she didn't do the murder. Right, because she had for a bunch of times kept going back to talking about the death and her guilt and Hugo and all those things. But then after all this happened, and I can't remember in what order. The and you were saying injured, that you, you were identifying with her and feeling like, oh. I was rooting for it. her, mostly because I like it when there's a somebody to root for in a story. But like I was rooting for her. But then she finishes the monologue, which she had already talked about how the kid was whiny and would say, I want to swim out to the rock. I want to swim out to the rock. She had said that a couple of times in her interior monologue where she was revisiting it. But then she also made it clear that Hugo had said, oh, I would have inherited this estate if that kid hadn't been a boy. Right. So if then if it's like, his cousin had been a girl, he would have been the heir. Right. Days. So... And that Hugo had said, oh, that's what's keeping us from being together. So she... Or told, even, yeah, maybe they would have been together, but broke. Right. But So she encouraged this kid to swim to the rock, even though it was way too dangerous, and said, you can surprise your mom by um, waving to her from the rock. She encouraged him to do it. She wanted him to die because if he died then Hugo would inherit the estate and they could be together. And she was a really good swimmer. So she swam out after him and pretended to get swept, like swept out to sea and eventually got rescued. So that she looked heroic because she tried to rescue him and got swept out to sea. But really she was a strong swimmer who just let him die and, and encouraged him to go out. Just yeah. in water until she got rescued. So, um, but we don't find that out until the very end then. And so then it's like, holy shit, you're not just a little bit like negligent. Cause for a part of it, it's funny. Cause I hadn't reread this. And for a, some of the Agatha Christie books, as I've mentioned, I reread it, reread it from pleasure. I hadn't reread this. And when I did for this podcast, I was like, oh yeah, that's why. Because realizing it's not just like, oh, she was making out with Hugo and the kid because there could be some guilt there. Right, right, that would be different if she was just like negligent, like, oh, I wasn't paying attention because I was making out with your cousin. It's like, no, I wanted this kid to die. <laughs> I wanted I him to die so that I could marry die. Hugo. Like, 
oh and like it was like oh you are as fucked up as everybody else in this whole house you know so then she goes back to the house to her room and she finds in her room a noose and a chair set up for her and then she her interior monologue and then there's that guilt spiral that we had heard from a couple of the people already not everybody but um from her uh from brent and armstrong for sure um but that she was like i can hear hugo waiting for me on the other side climbs up gets into the noose and that's like end of chapter and yep. so the final girl horror trope kills Everybody herself dies. she kills herself so she kills the second to last person herself and then she and then she kills herself and then new chapter is people from scotland yard yeah going what the actual fuck (laughs) (laughs) this is a body full of dead bodies i mean an island full of dead bodies right so that then they kind of for the audience review okay so how it doesn't make sense because they're like all these people died we thought think it could be the doctor but he was pulled above the water we think like yeah, we right. think it could be the girl, but the chair that she must have kicked over to hang herself was then put away neatly. Right. So, like, so, there's no proof because everybody and a lot of people had written diaries during the, so they're right. able to piece together the order in which it happened plus the poem. And, and then, so and then they verified that there was no way with the crazy weather that someone could have left or come back to the island. They right. They really were alone the whole time. And then they find out that there's this dude who was a drug dealer, had was the ones who had sent the invitations and made the recording. But then he had he was the broker for Owen, right? And he he purchased the property and and brokered the whole like the recording and the whole. But he died of a drug overdose also before the whole thing happened, and he wasn't on the island. I don't think he'd ever been on the island. No, he didn't go on the island, but he also died. So there was no record of like who 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 was the actual purchaser of the island. And so then there's a um, confession in a bottle that washes right. out. So 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 there's the like last chapter of like just the police being like this is an unsolvable crime. And right. then there's like the final final chapter which feels like an epilogue. I don't know if it actually right. because I did the audiobook if it's actually an epilogue. <clears throat> and that's so, when we find out who was wearing me- the scream mask you know and it was judge wargrave um and so he literally was like i'm putting this message in a bottle because i like romantic things like that so he literally put his confession and sealed it in a bottle and threw it out to sea which apparently according to the book you know was picked up by some fishermen and sent to scotland yard so and then we find out like that he's always been a judge and had a good sense of justice, but he also wanted to kill people, but he never did because justice. Right. He always got... like torturing animals and insects as a child. He had that serial killer thing, but he was like, but it's wrong to kill innocent things. So I won't. But I really would like to kill people. <laughs> so he so liked he... to judge because he could sentence people to death, but he had a very strong sense of justice. And then so, like, he the got a diagnosis the guy was guilty so the guy in the case that where he was accused for this like 
the guy would have gotten away with it because he was charming and had a good defense lawyer, but he was guilty and it was later proved that he was guilty. But he just used that as his pretext for being there. And then he got a diagnosis that he was going to die of cancer. I can't remember or something like that. Yeah. So he's like, okay. And then over the years, he'd found out about these people who had committed murders and gotten away with it. And I can't remember all of the circumstances, how he found out about it. But one of them was, it was was like, it was funny. I was thinking about, cause you know, I was talking about my friend Scott and I was thinking about Scott. Scott can like chat with anyone. Like he can be like, Oh, tell me more about being an accountant at a bar. Like he, he can like, just like make conversation with anyone. And I feel like I could picture Scott being like, so do you know of any like situations where like someone got away with something? Like, I feel like the, the judge was just like really good at, drawing conversation out and getting someone to be like yeah I actually know this crazy situation we didn't mention that the the reason that the doctor was there was because he was an alcoholic and had killed a woman early in his career because he was drunk doing surgery and like or shaking or something and like just from negligence she died right and then he after that sobered up and became a very popular rich doctor right did have basically this judge would be chatting with people in different circumstances and just hear about these things where like it was never a crime that you could go to jail for it was always unprovable right or on the edge of legal or whatever but Mm. he started to collect these cases and when he got his terminal cancer diagnosis he was like cool let's do it he bought an island and so like he found out about the doctor because the nurse in the room who didn't tell anybody else told him and he found out about Vera because he ran into Hugo and Hugo said, oh my God, there was this girl who killed for me and I loved her, but also like I had to get away from that crazy shit, you know, like, um, and like, he, yeah, he collected things like that. And then obviously did an incredible amount of research pre-internet to figure out how they would be invited and right. come. Um and then he, and then he wanted to because because as a judge he wanted to make it an unsolvable crime so he made it unsolvable because you because even he set up his own fake death because basically he when he, when we found him dead in the book that was fake because he collaborated with the doctor right so the doctor him. was already pronouncing everybody dead so he had pulled the doctor aside and said oh it's one of the it's either the cop or the colonizer I love how we're saying colonizer. That's not at all what he was called in the book. But anyway, <laughs> but um, it's one of those guys. So how about you and I pretend I'm dead and then behind the scenes, I can, you right. know. And so that's how he was able to have his death. Um, and then the doctor said he was dead. And then he immediately pushed the doctor into the water. Like you know? so that was the red herring because he tricked the doctor into it. Right. And then after everybody had died, which really? including Vera killing like herself, then he went back, got back into the where he had been found, like with the wool on his head and the um, shower curtain draped over him and shot himself in the head so it matched. Right. At the, the end, he did like a MacGyver thing to shoot himself in the head and make it look like not a suicide. Right, right. I can't remember. It was like, kind of one of the friends, and he had a whole string situation where, like, he pulled the trigger and threw the gun across the room so it wouldn't look. He yep. looked like he shot himself. Like a saw trap. Yep. 
Right. This is just yeah. Like, yeah, a lot of a lot of these elements are just like so it started with identity and now it's like ending like Saul with them showing like how he did it and like down to the, the to the cancer diagnosis. This is actually yeah. part of the film. Like, oh, wow. you know, he, he there's a, a so I was incom- right to make that parallel. I haven't yeah. seen Saw, but I, like I thought it was a parallel. There's an incompetent doctor. He's definitely got a cancer diagnosis, and he's had to deal with like all these incompetent people. So he's just like, well, you know, I'm gonna die. So fuck these people. I'm gonna make a trap, and they all got figured out, and I'm gonna be dead anyway. So good luck. Right. <laughs> or not. Well, but it, it's also because it's like torture. It wasn't just yeah. Well, and he said that, that he he said that like he wanted to kill the people he killed earlier. He thought were less evil, and which he drug out the the torture of the 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 psychological terror of it all for the ones that he thought were more guilty. And so he definitely like hated Vera the most, right? He, and I mean, like killing a kid. Right, it's bad, right, and, like, and, and, like, and it's interesting because again, when we think about the racism of the book, Vera, the one who killed the kid, and the colonizer, who were killed the last two, yeah, all those black people were like the ones that he wanted to torture for the longest. So that's interesting, right? Right, and we didn't mention what the cop did. I think the cop was a corrupt cop he, who he, um, gave. He like, had was like under pressure from a gang. Or took bribes from a gang, and he t- he false testified against someone, right? Which, yeah. So I mean, you know, cop stuff, but um, yeah. But we didn't really mention. But it's, he gave false testimony and sent an innocent person to jail. Yeah. So um, anyway, so like, there was. This is why it's so bleak and it's horror because it's torture of people, ending in death. Like there's no like redemption at the end. There's no, ah, uh, we made it. We got the guy. There's none of that. It's just dead, 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 dead. dead. I would say as a reader, it it was like yes, all dead, but still satisfying because you're like all these people died, but like the book told me they deserved it, and I believed the book. Like I was like yeah, they deserve it, and then you know when you're like. When it goes unsolved, you're like, Ugh. but then the final chapter, you're like, oh, like I got the satisfaction of how it was done, right? Yeah, and like I found it extremely satisfying. Not not racist, but I did find it extremely satisfying because, like, you know, the, the they were not disturbing deaths because, like, they they proved to me that these people deserved it, and then it was it was um, so we're past an hour. Oh no. So how about we take a quick break so that we're not messing this up and we get to our overall impressions. Let's come back for impressions. Okay. So we're back from our our second break and we're ready to uh, discuss. We've been over the book. We have. Um... So... <laughs> so okay wait wait okay so i had you had something to say. i yeah i'm used to the bleakness of it all i mean i know like you, you you both are very much not into the things that i'm into i've seen some very very rough things um well, give the audience some context of the media that you enjoy t- um the the ones that disturb me 
were uh, martyrs. And I saw Tatane, which pains me because I know that's not how you say it in French, but whatever. I saw Tatane. I was not ready for that. Um, that was weird. Um, but I did also watch the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on um, Netflix, and that was terrible. So, for instance, when we were early dating, oh, she'd no. be like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I just put on Seven and fell asleep. <laughs> what? You're like, what? You fell asleep to Seven? Look, like, Seven is an old film, all right? When, you, when you've seen it so many times, this is not making it sound any better, but when you've seen it so many times... <laughs> Why do you keep seeing it? Why are you seeing Head in the Box? Head in the Box. Head in the Box. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, and Gwyneth Paltrow. I had a thing for Gwyneth Paltrow as a young gay. Leave me alone. But so, what, that, she's even worse. She's her head's in the box. That's not so like the very end. Spoilers, by the way. That's not so like the very end. I had no idea her head was in a box. Okay. <laughs> terrible. I'm so sorry, Portia. You're going to have nightmares now. I shouldn't have said that. See, it disturbs me. Now it's going to disturb you. And this thing. But she would be like, oh, I fell asleep watching seven. I'd be like, oh my God, how is that? Ah. Also, David Fincher is one of my favorite directors, and seven is basically Dante's Inferno. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's Dante's Inferno. So it's disturbing. Classic literary work interpreted into the excellence that is seven. But anyway. Back to the book. Cocaine. The point is so <laughs> sandwiches. The point cocaine is, and sandwiches. You are you have consumed a lot. Like Portia and I are very like butterfly. Yeah, this really bothered y'all, and I'm like, oh, this reminds me of like 17 different movies I've seen. Um, well, I guess the interesting thing is because it was from 39, and horror movies were just starting in the 30s, but they were like uh, uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. Is this a like? And also, this is her most well-sold book. Like, right. it's her. And, most... and, 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 and again, that's why we have a podcast of hers because she is the source material for a lot of our modern media. Yeah, I mean, the the reason why this is a really well-sold book, if you if you're talking about the context of like horror films, is because like I've read somewhere on Wikipedia that this when this got retitled around the 80s it, it it shot up again like people started reading it again oh really oh, yeah. i think i mean somebody somebody in pod, podcast will probably research that and be like that's yeah, not true but whatever so yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have a reddit there's nowhere to say it exactly there's no forum <laughs> we don't have enough people listen to us for there to be a forum <laughs> So the slash the slasher flick like really took off in like the late sixties, early seventies. Um, and that's you know, if this book hit again around the eighties, I mean this was right in that in that particular slasher lane. But it's just kind of funny how this came out, you know, forty years prior to like the slasher film becoming popular in the US at the very least. And it was kind of, I guess kind of left on the back burner for a really long time until until society got to a point where we're like you know what monsters aren't doing it anymore let's let's make the monsters people right that's the thing is like, i wonder if this is one of the early ones of like it's not a monster it's not a dracula it's like it's a person yeah probably which is way scarier for me that's always been way scarier for me. way scarier yeah yeah so yeah I, and i think um i was uh, i noticed that the characters themselves when we were talking about, you know, the racism and the classism and such, none of the characters, like, of course they don't have redeeming qualities, but none of them are of, like, a high stature in society. 
like you have a you have a cop and then you have like an old spencer you have an old battle axe that's definitely racist and then you have like you know I, i'm assuming like a, a trust fund baby who's just running over people yeah you yeah. know and like and who are the rest like th these are people that like yeah, apart from the judge who turns out to be the killer right you have like two housekeepers like well the housekeeper and the, and the butler who you're like eh these are like this the you know, blue collared. These these are the people that you step on in society. You know, the this, this street doctor. And, but, yeah, and the, 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 yeah, the doctor is even from his own thing. He's working with rich ladies with their hysteria. He's not right. Getting diseases. You know, he's out there giving Michael Jackson shots. Like he's just not. <laughs> there's no one on this list here. Like society is worse because you're gone. Right. Yeah, it's very. Well, also, but I think your point was be that like she was not killing royalty or dukes and duchesses she was killing yeah. doctors and lawyers <laughs> which is a step below right um and so it's interesting because he was a doctor for the rich um and but um probably the judge and the doctor were the higher class of anybody in the room but they clearly had to have a job um which some of the people that in her books are you know the kind that are just rich and don't have a job they just yeah those are still be... trades like being a doctor and a lawyer yeah. in that society were still trades you weren't yeah just, yeah you playing tennis yeah especially in this time like i mean how many doctors were really making a lot of money in like 1939 like was it you know was it eh? i don't know yeah that's a good question but she didn't have like the people who were so rich that they didn't have any job at all right and that and and, and there know. was that one who was probably a trust fund kid who, yeah but but he wasn't well born he sounded like yeah so this is very interesting like to have these are these are the types of people that she picked that agatha christie picked as as characters is as right. kind of like so is that like a, in a kind of i guess ask the two of you is that like in a a huge contrast to any of the other characters in the other books like are, are most of them she's, of a higher status she's definitely had rich people kill each other for sure because her the classic stereotypical agatha christie story is a bunch of rich people in a rich house and then they somebody dies and they'll have to figure out who did it and they're all super rich and all they can do no is has gossip and no, no one has no jobs job. So this is actually different, the fact that everybody had a job. Yeah, um, actually, you're right. There's no one who's just, who I'm the Duke of whatever, and my job is being the Duke of whatever. Yeah. Um, so she actually has had victims and killers be, um, not royalty, but, you know, titled. Um, but in this one, for sure, yeah, that's an interesting choice to think about that everyone had a job. Yeah, because there's the classism in her books is definitely there. And it's weird because that's easier for us to see because we can say, ooh, that's British classism and it's different from American classism. Right. It's easy for us to see because it's different than the way it works here. Yeah, and so we've often been like, oh, that's interesting. And sometimes we've noticed how sometimes she's commenting on it and sometimes she's not commenting on it and participating in it. Right, right. Like sometimes she's playing on it and yeah, yeah. 
same for sexism too like she's done that like within it and tried to comment on it um but the classism in this one it's interesting right she didn't choose to have any i guess we could say that maybe lombard who's a soldier of fortune isn't he the one who's the colonizer yeah yeah oh no i was thinking of oh maybe it's uh macarthur marston who's the 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 the, the driver like yeah, the trust fund. I'm yeah. assuming he's well-born and has a family yeah. who's bailing him out. But we don't know that. Right. I mean, there and is someone on the list who's like Lady Duchess so-and-so. Yeah. And if he is, if he's well-born, he dies first and he's young and so it's clear that he never inherited the title or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're right. She doesn't then, make any of her bad guys be of the of the upper class yeah yeah and so it's interesting you brought that up right because she has before in other books when you were when it, we on the break be brought it up to me and i thought you were saying that she was like no one here is carrying cancer i mean well all that too like there there's that's what i was saying there's like, no we're not sad qualities. because we're not like oh that cancer won't get cured because you died yeah none of these people are like especially talented even even at their you know particular station and you know none of them are none of them have redeeming qualities like <laughs> right i mean and that's people <laughs> and that's one of the things that i know about myself is that i don't mind murder mysteries and i don't mind things that have some violence in them what i don't like is those stories that have no one to root for that are just anti-hero followed by anti-hero i find that like tiresome and draining and i know that that's very in to have everybody be an anti-hero um but it's like oh can we not have everybody be bad um and so this book was one of those where it's like even the one person I was like, well, maybe Vera just made a mistake. And then it was like, oh no, she's like horrible. Um, uh, so I, but I've never been fond of, um, and I know that a lot of people so are. You're, you're not not a Breaking Bad fan? Oh God, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, but the funny thing is, in, it's, it's funny because I think this hits me a little bit more positively than it hits you because I have a hero in Wargrave. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not saying that, like, you know, it's great, but I can see it. Well, I have a hero in Breaking Bad. It's Jesse. Like, you didn't ask for that. Right. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, like, you so know, you're like, I honestly, the vigilante thing works for me. I'm not sad about any of the deaths. Like, I, I actually find it extremely satisfying. Like the, the racism thing takes me offline and would keep me from consuming it more. But in terms of the story, like even though it's macabre, is there an R in there somewhere in there I should be saying? It's no. not a word I'm confident saying out loud. No, I mean, the, the R is just kind of like a LaCroix, like you just kind of whisper it. <laughs> you whisper the flavor of the R. It's a French root, isn't it? Yes. Like, I'm so scared with French short words. <laughs> but, like, despite the the fact that there's this menacing energy, I 
the, the way that it's tied with the bow at the end, and it's interesting because we didn't talk about the differences because there's different movie and play versions. Oh, yeah, and I want to talk about that. Because yeah. B was bringing that up, too, and we were getting ourselves confused. That was on, a video game. On, there's a video <laughs> game version and there's a play version where there is no... So, yeah, horror. so just a side note about this. So Agatha Christie, the first time somebody... In, um, and this was 10 years earlier, the first time somebody um, interpreted one of her books into a play, she was annoyed because she thought the play was too faithful to her book. And so she's like, I should start writing scripts. So there is a book of just her scripts. And as somebody who's produced stuff, I really enjoyed reading the, the scripts. And for several of her stories, she changed the endings. For a play. For the plays because she thought it was more theatrical or would play better or whatever so there was already it's one also just probably fun to have like you've read the book you go to the play and it's different right and so like um i can't remember which one we talked about already um oh yeah appointment with death mm -hmm. um where she changed to the murderer was um but this one she turned it to a more classic horror trope where the final girl lives and she did that in her play version of it, where she made it so Vera was innocent, that it was just a mistake, but also the colonizer was innocent, where he said, actually, he left those men because he thought he was saving them, and he thought he was going to his death, and he thought he was coming, that they would be safe and he would die. So she flipped the script on those two people. And so, and then at the end, the killer was still the same. Um, and so at the end, she just pretended to shoot Lombard. Or maybe she did, but she shot badly. So sexism. But whatever. And then um, she went up to her room and the uh, noose was there. And then she was staring at the noose. And then Judge Wargrave comes out and says, ha ha, I knew you'd shoot him. I knew it would be you at the end. I've done this all and he explains it to her. And then she says, but no, I'm innocent. I didn't actually do that. And he says, it doesn't matter. I have to fulfill my destiny. And then Lombard who wasn't killed comes up behind him and gets Wargrave and they get to have their rescue which is more like the end of, you know, Halloween, right? Like we get to have Jamie Lee Curtis lives, you know, like she gets to survive. Way to, to know that, Portia. Way to know a Halloween. I'm not the end of Halloween. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis keeps coming back, so she clearly lived. Right. Yeah. She's a legend. But, but I don't know the plot of Halloween. And like, I'm so scary of horror movies. I assume Portia's scarier than me. I have not seen Halloween. I just, <laughs> just know this. Well, also because it was like Jamie Lee Curtis's first role. And, you know. Is it? So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, you know. She's a treasure. She is a treasure. She is seven, and she was like very young in the first one. Um, but it, I, she might have been the first final girl because in it, she's innocent. Her friends are having sex, so of course they have to be killed by the serial killer because that's a horror movie trope, you know. Like, and she stayed home to babysit and study, so that's why she has to live, you know. Anyway, it's all of the tropes. Um, but. Um, so anyway, she turns and the, the when she makes a play version of it, and I would have to look up and see when, how long after she wrote the book, did she write the play version? Um, but she changed the ending so that 
at the end of a play, you're not watching everybody die. And is that more satisfying to have Wargrave come out and tell everybody, this is what I did, ha 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 ha, and then be stopped? You know what I mean? Right. Um, but and, I think- And then that, that version gives you a couple of people to root for. It gives you the good guy. Like you're talking about like, yeah, you, you were saying, and I think we've both said together that in a couple of the books, when there's no good guy, when there's no one to root for, it makes it right. really hard. Like how, fuck everybody here. <laughs> right, right. So, um, but it's interesting that she changed it. Um, yeah. Looks like it was first premiered in 43. The play. Yeah, yeah, 43. So, in the middle of World War II, instead of before it starts, maybe people wanted something that didn't end with everyone dead. <laughs> yeah. They need a good guy. Just give us one good guy. They needed guy. a pick-me-up. We, need <laughs> we needed a hero. We need something other than this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was actually pr premiered in London in 43, you know, of course, which was uh, in the middle of World War II when London was being bombed so oh, you know <laughs> yeah well is there a london left jeez um anyway so um but uh yeah so anyway um so it's interesting how she created all these so she created this horror that ends with everybody dead and then changes it to be like let's have a hero at the end that fixes it um but or not fixes but um Right, that, that that gives you the the super happy fun times to some degree. To so uh, some degree, at least, yeah. <laughs> well, I always wondered because whenever we get to the end of Scream or Halloween or whatever, when you know they get the they save usually the final girl. I'm always thinking, well, she's clearly going to be insane or have so much PTSD she's never going to leave the house again. Until yeah, that the was next... the Scream series. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how that's not exactly super happy fun time. But she did change it for that. And, yeah, so I I really well, appreciate... In the Scream series, do they get therapy? She does not. She lives on a ranch by herself with guns. No. Well, <laughs> that's the other option. <laughs> therapy because they keep coming back like they kept coming back it was <laughs> it was her 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 boyfriend and then it was like the 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 guy who was obsessed with the story and the the mother of the wife of the man who was sleeping with her mom and then it was her half brother, who she didn't know she had, and then yeah. in the fourth one, it was her cousin. Like everybody kept coming for her, <laughs> right? Which you know, there's not less therapy in the world for that. Absolutely not. The Jacksons need need less therapy. Than <laughs> so I guess the and it's interesting when you look at productions of this. Um, uh, some people go for her version of a play which saves the last two people and some people keep the everyone dies version and i guess it depends on where you want to go with the ending of your book and which one is more you know do you want to have heroes that 
stop it at the end? Or do you want to have the satisfaction as you found of like the guy who said, um, I'm going to kill all these killers. Right. Like, cause isn't that the plot of Dexter? Not that I've ever seen Dexter. I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. Wait, the serial killer Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean he so he kills he, bad people, right? He does go after bad people, but like it gets muddled in there a little bit because there's like he has a brother in one season who's like just killing indiscriminately, and then he like falls in love with another a woman for another season who kind of learns how to kill, and then he has to like fight John Lithgow who like kills his wife. Like it gets muddled in there. Like it's like okay, yeah, he's killing for he's killing murderers and stuff but also he's kind of allowing other people who are like him to live mm. and they become kind of like so a, the original premise was like yes yeah, like yeah and i and i could be messing it's been a while since i've seen dexter but like it it gets muddled like it's like oh great yeah he's kind of like batman killing people but also batman started a whole bunch of other crazies to go dress right. up and do a bunch of violence and so did dexter kind of right right makes sense yeah so and of course he kept going i mean this one was a one-shot deal i'm gonna kill nine people and myself right so the finite quality of it is nice right so it's not like he's gonna keep going until he was dying and i mean because one of agatha christie's premises in a lot of her other books is that once you start killing it gets easier and then your uh reasons get looser right you know and so she makes that case a lot that people once you start killing you've lost all moral compass and so you're gonna just keep going um and so this one she doesn't have any of that introspection about it or um judgment of it at all um but because of course the nice thing about a vigilante is if it turns out that it's actually the people were actually guilty and of course the problem with vigilantes as it turns out um is that they often are say racist and going after people that are not at all guilty right. and so that's the problem with vigilanteism is and once we start down that visceral satisfying path of like of course we have to get them they were bad Right. It's like, yeah, who's determining bad? Right. So in this case, we're we're trusting Wargrave with a whole lot and his 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 moral compass. Right. Um, which was obviously a weird one. So I just have to say I sat down over on this bench and there's a um, pink flamingo I have to share with you because I, I have that. children. <laughs> I, I don't know where it came from. Why are its feet so big? It's, it's, it's grass. Yeah, but, there's... but like, but look at the, look at the legs though. Flamingo's legs are never that thick. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, you're right. Those are very wide legs. Very kind. That's a, that, they're so, con- the, the, so the, the flamingo is so conscious I'm, about that. I'm, I'm sorry. They're so and, conscious. But probably they, if they thought that they could do a, you look like great, a really flamingo. You don't, your thick legs are adorable. I mean, it's size size legs. But you're right that if they were to try to do actual flamingo legs, it probably would have snapped off a long time ago. So they yeah. had to. For toddlers, right. Right. So 
I just thought I'd share with you. Because I feel like this got sad again. (laughs) We were like, we were having a good time. We were on dick pics, and now we are dick pics and racism were a good time. Now we're sad again. Well, and it's interesting that you didn't like my characterization of the book as bleak, as in hopeless. And I just thought bleak wasn't aggressive enough because Wargrave is an active. Right. You know what I, mean? like, I feel like bleak to me sounds like Virginia Woolf, blah feels. <laughs> Virginia you know, Woolf, way bleak. to go. Yeah. Know, but right? but I, I feel think- like this is like a killer aggressively terrorizing people so like bleak doesn't feel active enough fair i guess i was thinking bleak because it goes back to the there's no heroes in the story no one is redeemable and that's what's bleak about it is how do you have 10 people random people that all come together and no one is not just bad good but like redeemable because there's a um sense some sense of like i like to believe in redemption that if people do do mistakes they can you know learn from it grow like we have all the time of like feeling like you're a terrible person which probably means that you aren't because you're spending time thinking that you're a terrible person and trying to do better right right and so if we believe that most people that people in the human race are redeemable but then this book is like yeah no (laughs) see seven's not even this bleak seven kind of has an uplifting message at the end does it yeah (laughs) i don't know i've never seen it so i don't know i didn't know anything about it once her head's in a box, I'm done. I, I got nothing. I can't, you don't I can't, even I can't see hear, that I can't in hear. the box. It doesn't matter. You don't see it. I know it's there, and I, I don't hear any dialogue after that. It's just so disturbing. Oh, for the love of so, it's since seven is just Leverment is on my list of things that like you lose me, like, and just, yet you reference Saw anyway, <laughs> <laughs> which I've never seen, but I, I get... know it's. <laughs> So since seven is Dante's Inferno and it's it's Morgan Freeman guiding Brad Pitt through the the levels of hell. Right. We okay. get, he gets to the bot. It's almost like Morgan Freeman is trying to guide a, another soul through this terrible, terrible city, which they don't really readily identify, but it's somewhere between like New York and Detroit. Okay. Um, but then like there's, there's yeah, kind of. And then there's like this like prairie land part at the very end where it's almost like LA but like a like a wind farm situation um and he's trying it's almost like he's trying to he's trying but not trying to guide Brad Pitt through like this terrible hellscape of the city and he's just like and throughout the movie he's like you can't be this naive you can't like just this city is terrible like you're never going to make it and like Brad Pitt's like no you know I don't I think you believe all those things because you're quitting and you want me to believe them too, but I can't. And he's like, I don't, and I can't do that. And part of it's because of his marriage to Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, once to take Gwyneth Paltrow out of the picture, he kind of has a choice to make on his own, where Morgan Freeman doesn't want him to kill Kevin Spacey. Spoiler alert. At the end, he's like, you know, if you do this, if you kill him, he will win. And Brad Pitt has this choice to make without the support of Gwyneth Paltrow being there. And he chooses poorly, technically. 
But in that choice, Morgan Freeman decides to stay because there's at least one person holding back the floodgates of all this evil, and it has to be Morgan Freeman. Even though in the entire the entire movie he's been talking about leaving because this 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 place is horrible, but he stays because he saw what happened to this boy, essentially Brad Pitt, and he's like, "I'll be around because he's going to need me. I will be around." And that's so how redemption, yeah, yeah. That's you can make you can continue to make choices. By the way, my uh, my uh, AirPods are dying. They just did the whole sad sound. So I don't want us oh, okay. to cut off, but I think we're close to being done, right? If they're so, sad, we're sad. <laughs> racism. <laughs> Dick pics. I got. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's a very complex book, and the structure of it was really good. And she might have started the entire slasher genre herself. Survival horror, technically. Survival horror yeah. definitely is what this is. But yes, survival slasher. horror. Yeah. Or lack of survival. Well, that's right. what survival horror is. <laughs> like, sometimes you don't survive. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the game, is trying to survive. I mean, like, a lot of the zombie movies are still survival horror, even though no one survives at the end. No. Yeah. 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 So, again, she's she's a genius. She's a master. She's and a racist. slightly racist. Yep. <laughs> a lot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much for listening to Poro Pod. Poro Pod. Poro Pod. <laughs> I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs>